I think it's interesting because we're talking about consumption, we're talking about wisdom, and this is a very important topic. And, and, and it was interesting that when, when Rick Warren brought this to his church, uh, one of the members, Julie McGough, uh, who had been there for 18 years, said, I wondered whether this was something really the church should be doing. McGough and her husband decided to try the plan, and they were one of the 12,000 because they had gained weight through um, his illness with multiple sclerosis. Which is interesting that usually even as couples, couples kind of have some of that potential um, to gain weight together, lose weight together. And the couple and their two kids cleaned out their pantry. So this family gave up In-N-Out burgers and started cooking as a family activity. And they started eating chicken and broccoli and squash and a variety of vegetables and also in smaller portions. They bought a trampoline for the kids to play in and they also... Uh, began to do some hiking together. One year later, even after Julie was wondering in the beginning, she had lost 28 pounds and her husband had lost 55 pounds. And, and the thing she said was most remarkable about this was that she was able to stop through her doctor's supervision, he was, a number of the medications that he was on, that they were treating, treating symptomatically. And then she says, this is what we should be doing. I am far more able to serve God because I'm healthy. It's interesting, Pastor Rick Warren told his congregation that he never paid much attention, as you heard here, to the perils of overeating that came through diabetes and heart disease and, and all kinds of other things until one day someone had told him that obesity could affect a person's brain power and that, he said, kind of snapped him into beginning to think about it, which led to what happened there in the baptism and everything else. We are a nation of consumers, and you have to consider this. If we are consumers and we have excessive debt, we love to spend. If we are consumers and, and we think about the fact that, that we love to um, shop and, 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 and get things, we have all the time the opportunities to, to buy up another experience, to go to some new exotic place it would also hold true that we are consumers when it comes to food. And important for us to think about this. Historically, this hasn't always been the case. And so you might say, you know, when you go on the Word of God, you don't see a whole lot written about this, Pastor. So the reason is that um, historically there were only pockets of society, pockets within a culture where consumption of that degree with food was even possible. Most people were not overweight. It would have to be where there was a king or a prince or you had a, a royal court or a place where there was enough food that they could actually consume it. In fact, if you go back to paintings, think about the Renaissance paintings. You see some of those paintings and, and people are sitting there and they're, they're almost bleached white. Have you noticed that? They're, they're often overweight. And, and you kind of go, why is that? Well, those were not the common people. Those were the wealthy people today who had the opportunity and availability to eat food. And not only this, they were white. They weren't tan and ruddy skin because if you were tan and you were thin, something our culture prizes today, you were looked at as not just a commoner, but someone probably in the lower class because you were working in the field and you were out in the sun and you didn't get a lot of food because there wasn't a lot to go around. The latest Gallup Healthways Wellbeing Index states that 63.1% of adults in the U.S. are overweight. So that's two out of every three. I have to share with you, as I was preparing this message, I have woken, awakened a number of nights, in the middle of the night, really rather anxious and, and fearful even to share 
a message like this. Because I know from my own family of origin and background um, how much shame is, is around areas of weight issues in, our, in my own personal family. And I know that when I speak about something like this, there are people who struggle with this and, and immediately deep shame comes up because we have a culture that prizes people who are thin. And you can sit here today and you can be a consumer excessively of some kind of other habit of debt or you could be a consumer of, of pornography or you could be a consumer uh, um, with regard to anger issues or have attitudinal issues that are um, just as addictive in your life, but no one sees it or few do. And so as I began to really pray through this and think through this, I recognize that as we speak about something like this food and 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 in our care of our body and weight, it's, it's rife with all kinds of potential shame. And there are lots of causes to it. It's not an easy solution. There's genetic issues. There's physiological issues. There's psychological wounds that create a hunger to fill hurts in our life. There are all kinds of things. It's not a simple thing. And yet, as a culture, um, we are um, being bombarded with the reality that for some, it's a matter of, you know, there's some choices that are wise for us to make, and they're biblical. Uh, What does the Bible say about it? Does Scripture even talk to it? Again, it doesn't talk to it in the same way it might talk about poverty and some other things. But it does speak to it. In Proverbs, it actually says so. And if you turn to Proverbs chapter 23, verses 1 through 3, there is a, a proverb. And some of these, I, I haven't noticed much uh, until I began to read this. But Proverbs 23, 1 through 3 says, When you sit to dine with a ruler, isn't that interesting with a ruler? Because that's where the, the food was. Note well what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you're given to gluttony. Do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. I thought as I was reading this, and I think it would be pretty easy to establish, and I'm sure that when Daniel was in the court of the king in exile, this was probably one of the passages that informed him, along with his Jewish habits of eating. Because you read in the first chapter, Daniel says, it, 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 Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. And then Daniel makes this request. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And just watch and see if on this diet we aren't healthier. And if you drop down just a little bit to chapter 23 and you look at verses 19 through 21. You'll see in, in God's word, he says, listen, my son, and be wise and keep on keep your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat for drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness. Close them in rags. I have to say, it's interesting when you compare drunkards, those who drink too much and, and gluttons, he says, and who, who eat too much. Um, that's that's not a that's. That kind of took me off guard. So what do you do with passages like that? How do we as a church come around this? Proverbs 23 says, as you continue on, 
Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Now, catch this. Buy the truth and do not sell it. And then he goes on to say what truth looks like. Get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. It is these three things that are so important for you to have an awareness about. Wisdom is basically knowing what to do, what is right and good, and then knowing how to apply it and when to apply it. Discipline is merely the characteristic where you decide to do what is right again and again. And understanding is, is figuring out what is it that's causing. Is it physiological? Is it something genetic? Is there something that um, from uh, wounds of my own uh, childhood or some kind of psychological thing underneath this? What's causing? Or is it just simply that I am lazy and, 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 and I've, or I've never been convicted about this? And you might be thinking, well, it's not really that big of a deal. But I think it's interesting that whatever appetite that consumes us, you're going to find as we look in a moment at the life of Jesus, it's important that we understand it. And it's important that we have wisdom around it. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can consume us. Alcohol, sex, approval addictions, control addictions, greed, risk addictions. We have appetites for things, and the Word of God calls us to actually um, live with discipline around those things and have wisdom. Proverbs 28, 7 says, He who keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of glutton disgraces his father. God's desire is that we're discerning sons and daughters of the heavenly, of our God. His commandment and law is that we are good stewards of all he gives us, and that includes our body. So, this morning what I'd like us to do is take a few moments and to look at the life of Jesus and see how Jesus lived. And, and I've never really thought about this before in, in this light, and I, maybe it will be new for you. And I would ask you in this message um, to push back shame. It's not, not anyone's job here to judge, but to try as best you can to kind of push those filters out and, and, and allow God just to speak to your own heart about some of these things. And let's pray. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would, would really guide us and direct us that no matter what we look at, as we sang this morning, it is all enveloped with grace. You call us to come to you no matter where we're at, no matter what may be going on in our life. You invite us into your presence. And so, God, in your presence, we want to learn and grow. And we want you to lead us and teach us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to give you three things around this idea of what Jesus did with food. First of all, when it came to food, Jesus ate perfectly. You may, it's kind of a funny thought. It might throw you for a loop, but I think it's important to understand this, and let me just share with you. For, for Jesus, eating was a heart matter. Eating was a part of doing his Father's will. For Jesus, all of his life was the act of worship, and that included all his appetites. You know, at the meeting of Jesus one time at, with a woman at a well in John chapter 4, it's really interesting. They're, they're traveling from Judea through Samaria all the way up to uh, Galilee. And on the way, Jesus is tired. He stops at this very um, well-known well of Jacob, and he can see that his 12 disciples are starving. So he basically says to you guys, you guys go into town, which is probably a, you know hour or more walk away. You go into town. 
I'm going to just sit here and and he kind of probably sat down by the well and was exhausted. And as he's sitting there, a woman came and, and she came. It was midday. It was the heat of the day. It's not the kind of time when the women would come to get water at the well. They would usually come early in the cooler part of the day in the morning so they could have the water for the rest of the day. So obviously she was coming at a time when she knew others wouldn't be there. She was probably someone who felt rather judged and condemned herself. And so she walked to that well. And as she's getting water, Jesus begins and strikes up a conversation with her. In the midst of the conversation, he um, talks about um, living water and, uh, and all that. And then as he gets done, she's about to leave. The disciples come back. The disciples realize he still hasn't eaten. And, and they say to him, Rabbi, you need to eat something. And Jesus shared this in important scripture that I think is a good one um, to keep in the back of your mind. He said to them, more basic in life than my appetite for food is this. He says, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. The most basic controlling principle in the life of Jesus was this, and that was to do his father's will in everything and every part of his life. Every appetite in his life was consumed by one appetite, and that was to do what the Father was calling him to do. There's a man named Jimmy Pena who is an author called Pray Fit, and there's a website, a really good website, called PrayFit.com. He says, Jesus ate perfectly. Does anyone find that amazing? Whether during a hearty celebration meal with friends or while eating sparingly on the road as he traveled, he never sinned. In fact, nobody ever ate better. Now that's food for thought. Some of you may be sitting back in your chair thinking, wait, wait, what? Surely you don't mean perfectly. Well, in fact, yes, that's exactly what I mean. See, as believers, he writes, we believe Jesus was perfect in every imaginable way, and that includes how he ate. It's easy to think of Jesus as a healer or a teacher, but perfect eater. While we know he never ate for vanity or gluttony, that truth is easier to adjust when we realize that nothing he ate or didn't eat would prevent him from reaching the cross for your sins and mine. I thought that was an interesting statement because as I thought about that statement, I thought about the very fact that Jesus um, brought under submission to God and his spirits leading every appetite so that on the cross, you know that on the cross at a certain point when he was experiencing great physical suffering, someone came up to him and, he, and they offered them Wine with, mixed with gall, and, and he tasted it. And the purpose of giving that to him was that it would lessen the pain. It had the ability to deaden the pain. And in the moment Jesus tasted that, in the midst of great suffering, he rejected it because he knew, as he said, my food, the greatest appetite in my life, was to do the will of the Father and to completely finish his work. Nothing would get in the way of doing all that he needed to do so that we could have a relationship with God the Father. And so Jesus' food was to do his Father's will. The spiritual food, his Father's will, determined even his physical food and what he put in his body. He listened to his Father and would fast. When the Spirit of God was directing the fast, he would do it. Do you know that after he was baptized and, 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 and he was um, leaving there, it says in Scripture, in the book of Mark, that at once the Spirit sent 
Jesus into the desert. But you know the word sent means drove him into the desert, where there he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. So even in that, the Spirit directed him. Even in that process of fasting, it was his father's food, which was to do his will, which was to complete as fully as he could all the work he needed to do for you and me. And so you may want to just even take this verse and memorize it. As Jesus says, my greatest appetite, the most controlling appetite I have in my life is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. There's a second thing when it comes to food. Jesus perfectly cared for his physical body. So not only did he eat perfectly in the sense that he would do that and and eat that which would finish and complete the work, but he actually cared for his physical body. Jesus understood that his physical body was the place that on this earth that his father would work through him. It was it was clear to Jesus. He was aware that that although he was fully man, he was he had given up the rights of, of God as is, is being God, being omniscient and omnipotent, that he would fully depend on the Spirit. And he was aware that when he came to earth, it would be through this physical body, the limitations of this body, that he would be the one that would allow for God's kingdom to come and to touch people. So that through his physical body, which he would care for, and he cared for perfectly so he could do the Father's will to do the work that he needed to do, he would go around and touch people with healing. It was his body that touched people with healing. It was his body that carried him to the next place that he was to to teach so that he could teach people. It was his body that he would cause to get sleep and to rest so that he could care for his body to do the work that God called him to do. C.S. Lewis, as I've said once before, is he says you don't have a soul. You are a soul, but you have a body. And that body is given in this lifetime so that through you, the spirit of God, God can do a work. He's called everyone in order to use you to touch the lives of other people. And Jesus knew this, and so he valued his body. He was a steward of this body that he was given. His body, he realized, was the vehicle which the Father would use and the Spirit would direct. And Jesus knew that his body would be broken and that this body would be offered and at some point this body would be a perfect sacrifice given on a cross for you and me. And it's interesting in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, there's these words. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, and now it quotes from the Old Testament from Psalms, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, catch this, but a body you prepared for me. God's prepared also for you and for me, a body. It is a vessel. It is a vehicle that he gives us for a period of time. In order to do God's work. So when it comes to food, Jesus, I would say perfectly, when it comes to food, Jesus perfectly cared for his body. And when it comes to food, Jesus lived a perfectly, and this, this is one I love because it's liberating. He lived a perfectly balanced life. I mean, I tell you with all this stuff, you know, we turn the year and how many have seen a diet, um, something about diets on TV, Right. You turn the year and you look at all this stuff and you see Hollywood with all these perfect bodies and they're getting ready for these shows that they're going to be coming on, Oscars, everything else. And, and you, you watch these people and, and, and this isn't what the Bible is calling us to, okay? 
The Bible is, is basically saying that just like Jesus, there's a greater appetite that we have that controls this appetite and any appetite. It's this truth that says that you have been given a body. It was prepared and given to you. You may not like it. You look in the mirror and you go, God, why don't you give me a different one, right? But this body was designed by God in the womb for you to live out your days in this life so that you, like Jesus, will care and value it. And then he says... Thirdly, if you look at the life of Jesus, he lived it perfectly balanced. It wasn't about having this Greek-looking body. It was about caring for his body in such a way that he could do the work so that he could actually enjoy all aspects of life. Jesus was balanced. Now, there are times when, when you have to do course corrections and you have to, you know, like, if you're having a problem with the consumption of spending and debt, there are times where it's really wise to take credit cards, cut them up, and to live specifically on, on just on cash, right? There may be times in our life when there's certain things that we just have to go, because our culture right now seems to be really pushing in a direction with all kinds of things. And as we move through this, the one thing we want to say, because there's going to be people going, oh, you know what, Pastor, you're way on this other. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying we go to the extreme. I'm saying balance. God calls us to balance in the life of Jesus, live balanced. There may be those times you have to go over here to make a course correction. Jimmy Pena writes this about Jesus' life. He says, I believe Jesus enjoyed a good meal with his disciples, and I like to imagine him leaning back and being the first one to doze off. I can also see him going days without food, fasting for heavenly wisdom for you and me. Friends, it's when we see food through his eyes that the table clearly comes into focus. Enjoy food. Respect food. Learn how it allows you to serve him. Jesus had no problem enjoying a good meal. He fasted when necessary. He feasted when appropriate. He enjoyed good times with the guys. He would go to people's parties. He was a guest at many parties we read in Scripture. And there's never a thing where it says that he ordered a vegan meal or anything like that. Anyway. Food, in one sense, wasn't a big deal for Jesus. He enjoyed it. He consumed it as fuel so that he could do his Father's will. He shared it as a way of being in community with people. He also feasted upon it as a way of celebrating God's goodness in life. And you see that throughout his life. So he knew how to fast. He had such control of his appetite in one sense, so he didn't go way over on one end. He fasted. I love where Luke talks about this. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights at one time. And listen to what Luke says. And at the end of them, he was hungry. I go, duh. There's a reason why Luke says this. He wants us to know that Jesus is human like you and me. He also feasted. Here's the charge leveled against him. Listen to this charge. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say here is a glutton and a drunkard. Remember that Proverbs passage? Here's not a wise man, this Jesus guy. He's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But it says wisdom is proved right by her actions as you watch his life. And I think to myself, praise God, Jesus didn't come as John the Baptist. Just think if Jesus modeled the lifestyle. It was just reversed, those lifestyles. Do you know if that was the case? Because we love to say, I'm going to live just like Jesus and model Jesus. 
there would be a, a bunch of us living in deserts wearing camel hair clothes, eating locusts with honey. This past fall, I was in Florida and I was running and I saw a locust. Seriously, I didn't realize they were, it was the size of a Snickers bar. And I was tempted to get some honey and eat it. No. But honestly, think about it for a second. If Jesus would have lived that way, isn't it interesting the way that Jesus did come? Jesus came and lived a perfectly balanced life. He had a food that was more important than any other appetite. It was to do the will of his father. He not only had this food to do the will of his father, he knew that food was important as fuel. It was a way to share um, celebration with one another in community. And he realized that his body was valuable to do the work God had called him to do. So with those two things in mind, he went out and lived life by the spirit in a balanced way. And I believe that's what God calls us to do. Jesus was all about balance and moderation. He modeled it and demonstrated it. And he even was the one who said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Not with scarcity. With abundance. And I just want to share with you just a few things that are just kind of practical things. What does all this teach us? What does this mean? The first is this. I just want you to know God is not about appearance. Not at all. God is not about appearance, but he's all about the heart. His priority, Jesus, was always about the heart. He always drove to the heart. The Word of God is always about the heart. It's about putting first things first. It's doing the Father's will as priority, even above eating lunch at times. Maybe at times missing some meals as a way of concentrating and, and praying for wisdom or, or, or praying for someone else. I want you to note this. God doesn't save healthy people who abide by the law perfectly. People who are saved are not the ones who, who live this out perfectly, have really, you know, they look good, they, they appear good, they seem to do good. Those are not necessarily the ones who are saved because God looks at the heart. He looks at the person who says, God, I need you and I want you to be a part of my life. And I want you to take my heart that is full of sin, that is not perfect, that is imperfect. And I want you to give me a new heart with desires to do those things that you did, that that you saw your greatest desire was to be consumed by your father's will. And you saw this deep need to take care of your body and you realize that life was living it balanced. God saves anyone who's willing to admit their need of him. And he moves into their lives when they're willing to say, give me the desires of your heart. Jesus said at one point to a bunch of self-righteous Pharisees, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous. I have not come to call the righteous. Isn't that interesting? But sinners, people who are in need. Jesus is all about the heart because it's from the heart that unhealthiness comes. The words you speak, the thoughts you think, and ultimately the things we do. As God told Samuel one time when he was looking for the king of Israel, he said, Samuel, the Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So I want to just say clearly we're not about judging in this. God sees the heart. What we're about here as a church is say, how can we be more like Jesus? That's what our mission is all about. How do we know and follow Jesus more fully? What does that look like individually in your life? And when you're ready for that and you're ready to move into it, we want to come around and help that. But in the midst of it, we're not here to judge. We're here to come just kind of pray and, and be cheerleaders for one another in our growth in Christ. So the second thing is this. Not only is God not about appearance, but about the heart. God's will is that you enjoy life. We've been talking about joy. I believe God's will is to enjoy. I 
have to be the first to admit that I binged like crazy at Christmas and ate like crazy. And I celebrated. But I also want you to say that God, I also want to say this, that we are to enjoy life, but yet we're called to be good stewards. Our consumption does matter. How we discipline our appetites is very important to God. What you and I do with the body that he's given us is something that is, matters greatly to God. This is an area of wisdom. It's an area that I think we need to develop. And so one of the things that we've been doing probably now since this last fall, we began to bring together what we call a wellness team. And we're kind of doing a wellness initiative. We want to, as a church, say, God, how do we come around even this area of our life and live with wisdom? And for anybody who wants to, I'm not, we're not looking to try and be like Rick Warren and Saddleback. We're just saying, you know, how do we do our part, God, as a church in this? And so um, I've asked one of the members of our wellness team, Dr. Mark Moline, to come up and, and if he would just share with us and, and, and give us some of the to know what to do stuff. And, and as you come up, Mark, I just want to just share that I actually first heard about Mark when a couple of ladies after one of my messages said to me, you know, I was speaking about angels and, and they said, you know, we have an angel in our midst. I said, well, who's that? And they said, Mark Molina. I said, no, you're crazy. That's not, he's not. No. <laughs> but they were just, they were just commenting me, to me on, on some of the work that he had done in, in visitation help that he had done in their family. And, uh, and that was after that, I think I contacted you. Just a little bit of background for Mark, and that is that um, Mark is commonly known as a plumber. He's a vascular surgeon. Um, that's supposed to be a joke, isn't it? I, I laughed. Yeah, okay, okay. He's, he's, he was trained at the U of M and at Mayo in Rochester, and Rochester's where his hometown is from, where he's from. He's, since 1998, serves as a surgical director at Park Nicollet Wound Clinic. And, and I could go on more, but I will just say this. As a wife and, uh, and, and four children, that is kind of his pride and joy. But in the last year or so... Um, Mark's had the opportunity to work with 70 other people at Park Nicollet and training people in what is called Integrative Nutritional Initiative. And so I'm going to ask you to take a few moments and just kind of walk us through. Uh, this is what I call the wisdom, knowing what to do kind of stuff. So why don't you share? Now, Kevin said, I'll be done in an hour. I've got 60 <laughs> minutes. So i got eight minutes. We're going to pop up some slides here. And one of the things that came to my heart as I was treating patients in our wound clinic and in my vascular surgery practice is simply the amount of preventable disease that we have to deal with. So how do we prevent preventable disease? And, you know, here's the problem. Your mother was right. If you look at this picture, we are composed of what we eat. So, you know, this is all about what we put in our bodies because this is what ends up making up our cells. Next. So, and just as Pastor Meyer emphasized, this is not about weight. When we give these talks at... Our institution, we talk about we are not emphasizing weight loss. It fails. We're emphasizing nutrition. So this is about finding health. And this is all-inclusive. So I'm a member of one of eight right now on the wellness team. I want to be one of 500 because everybody at, this, at our church needs to be part of the wellness team. So these are the things I deal with at work. Smoking, uh, high blood pressure, diabetes, and cholesterol, and Something when we get this tube around our middle that causes metabolic syndrome, and that drives a lot of heart disease, heart attacks, and strokes. So this is something that we take out of people's arteries. These cholesterol build up, this plaque. This particular one came out of the inside of a guy's neck that was having stroke symptoms. So as we sit down at the table, we're talking about mindful eating versus mindless eating. We need to be mindful about what we're eating. And if you think about it, it's kind of like your bank account. 
you're putting money in, taking money out. This is a return on investment. So if you want a good quality of life when you're retiring, it depends how you invest during your life and what food you stick into your body and how you are active and how you exercise. And we're really trying to get back to the so-called Garden of Eden Health. So as we sit down to eat and we look at that $3 hamburger with the French fries, which is a great value, is it really a good value if we do it day after day? So the immediate good values may not be good long-term values for our health. So instead of asking what's for breakfast, what's for lunch, what's for dinner, we have to start thinking about what's for health. So the real value, wouldn't it be great if you got your Benny card, you could go to the grocery store and slide it, and it helps pay for your fruits and vegetables instead of just for your Lipitor, hydrochlorothiazide, you know, all the medicines. <laughs> so if we can tie value in the healthcare system into what we're consuming, now we have real value because we need to consume health instead of consuming health care. You know, a lot of good things came out of Wheaton College, right? <laughs> Billy Graham, Pastor Meyer, and then the, the author of the movie Elf, one of our favorite movies, Tom Kamenicki. He's an 87 grad. My four favorite food groups. I'm a complete sugar tooth. So sugar, candy cane, candy corn, syrup. The note about the syrup that they don't talk about in the movie, you've got to buy it organic. It's much healthier. Right. And Santa Claus, if Santa Claus does smell like beef and cheese, he is a fake. Now, and I'll tell you, I wore my sugar, my, I wore my candy cane, you know, tie this morning as well. All right. This is what we're focusing on is the my plate. It replaced the my pyramid and it's, a, it's supposed to be a nine inch plate. How many people here eat, eat on a nine inch plate? I don't. Mine's like 18 inches. So fruits and vegetables are supposed to compose half of your plate, then grains, a quarter in lean protein and milk or dairy. Next. Now. Put it in perspective. In the world, there's a billion people that are overfed. That's balanced by a billion people that are underfed. And this is a gentleman that works in, um, in Flores de Villa, down where the Stavros's are, and he, is the sh he, he makes juice out of sugar canes. And when you walk around in that community, you see a community that actually, even though they don't have access to what we have to, nutritionally, they're actually doing pretty well. So these are some of my favorite foods. That Twinkie is 40 years old. Still tasted good. Next. Had that much preservatives. And that much preservatives. And, but what we're, what we're really assaulted by in our, in our um, society is this kind of stuff. This stuff yells at kids to drink me. Next. You know, fruits and carrot companies are not sponsoring putting ice in front of the St. Paul Basilica and racing down an ice track. And they're not sponsoring having a guy jump out of a satellite 24 miles up. You know, so this has got Red Bull written all over it. And this is what our kids and our society are being assaulted by. And so it's, it's unfair competition. The marketing guys are spending $120 million every three to four days to get us to consume. Fruits and vegetables aren't spending $120 million every three, four days. So it's a market abnormal or a discrepancy. So really, we, we've got a health care mortgage coming in the form of our overall health. Everybody hears it about Social Security. Everybody hears it about Medicare. The money's not there to pay for us. We've got to take care of ourselves because they're not going to be able to do it in the end. So we all know the battle about smoking. Uh, Stu Hansen, who was at my uh, institution, really led the battle nationwide, and he was one of the big guys that helped turn that lawsuit. So we know the effects of smoking. Now, can you see a cafeteria where you have a no fat in the fat zone? It's not going to happen. Like there was smoking and no smoking. 
But just like we know the effects of smoking, hopefully in 10 years, we're all going to intimately know what to eat. The uneducated are going to remain uneducated. Our job is to roll up our sleeves and actively engage with an active form of hope as we educate ourselves about nutrition. Next. The one good book. If you're going to go buy a book, Dr. Kessler's book, former FDA commissioner uh, under Clinton and Bush, The End of Overeating in America. This is a wonderful book, lots of great details. It breaks all foods basically down into sugar, salt, fats. Food has been engineered to get into your body easily and allow you to hyperconsume. Next. If you look at moderation, manna, when manna came, you were supposed to collect one day's worth. If you collected more, it sat in the corner of your tent and it degenerated, right? That's what's happening in our bodies when we hyperconsume and have too much in our bodies. Our bodies actually degenerate. And then, you know, give us this day our daily bread. It's that simple. As Pastor Meyer talked about the Daniel fast, add by a vowel. Make it a Daniel feast, because this is actually food that is feastful. You shouldn't consider this a fast. Next. So the Garden of Eden is where we're trying to get to. And as a society, we're way down on the, this asymptote, this mathematical formula. So if we eat better and only do this even just 80, 90 percent of the time, we are going to improve our nutritional stat, stat, our status. And our bodies will naturally go back to the state that they were supposed to, closer to what Jesus tried to do and as we try to emulate that same state. Next. Everybody wants to be common. Everybody wants to be normal. We don't want to be. We want to be outliers and we want to be uncommon. Next. So nutrition is really a story. It's got to be educational. There's got to be a faith component to it. We want to be compassionate about it. We want to be non-judgmental. We want to be... Uh, and we want to forgive. Like Winston Churchill said, success consists of going from failure to failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. We're going to fail, and that's okay. And we have to be able to tell each other we're proud of our efforts. You know, when I see my patients that have lost 20, 30, 40 pounds as they gain muscle mass and get healthy, that's a great thing to say to somebody. I'm proud of you for what you're doing, not just great job. So what we're doing is we're talking about a healing initiative, healthy eating, active living. Next, please. And it's going to take our heart, soul, strength, mind, and clearly our hands, since that's what gets the food to our mouths. Next. So there's six things to remember. One, two, three, four, five, six. Next. It is five servings of fruits and vegetables on a daily basis, four glasses of water. We want three meals ideally shared as a family, because if we consume together, we do better together. And we're looking at two hours of recreational screen time a day. So that includes your iPhone, that includes your smartphone, TV, video games, etc. Cindy, I fail all the time. I know. I get it. So, uh, and then one hour, ideally, of activity a day. 30 to 60 minutes of activity. And then zero or extremely limited sodas, both diet and regular pop, or sugar drinks. Next. This is the form you're ultimately going to get next week, or in a couple yeah. weeks. So, so can, I'm just going to yeah, break yeah, right here. One of the things that we have found, and, and I really have found, is that this happens best in groups around accountability. And so there's a group has been working, the wellness team. In a couple of weeks, we're going to actually call whoever wants to be a part of this to, act, to be a part of this six-point thing. And, and they're going to be able to, you're going to, be able to um, check it off, out. and you're going to be able to work it as a family. And it gives you a diary of what you've accomplished. Right. And so that's one of something we're going to have coming up. And we never, you know, you don't want people to do it out of emotion and you want to think about it. We want you over this next week or so be thinking about, is this something God's calling me to? Can I participate in it for a period of time? And can we do that to some degree as a group?
And I think this is the last slide. Oh, I had to put up a little hockey, right? Because we have to remember what team do we play for, and we've got to remember we were meant to be here. Pastor Myers talked about that many, many times. Next. And God really wants to connect with us about our nutrition, not simply communicate, connect. Very distinctive differences. So we are sim- we're trying to be, as we heard last week's message, determined to take action. We have to decide to just do it. And we have to be disciplined. And really, we have to be joyful and delighted in the outcomes. And it was, it was a real privilege for me to be able to participate in this, and I, I appreciate you asking me. Thank you. Thank you, Mark, for doing this. We appreciate it. You are a group of talented people, and, and Mark is one of them. And as everyone uses their gifts, we have opportunities to grow and move together in uh, ways that uh, we really honor God and, uh, and honor one another.